So yeah, welcome to the Oxcast, Ox Unplugged. I am Crispy Crowd. I am Mr. Jaywit. And I am Halion. Today we are going to be talking about world building and how everyone does it. Because everyone does it differently. Yep. Chances are if you're listening to this podcast, you've done it one way or another. Whether it's for a tabletop, a game, what have you. Yeah. I basically only do it for role-playing games. I don't do it. I don't do a lot of writing, and I don't draw a lot, so it's not... That is my entire perspective on anything. Well, that's good, because I'm, I'm like the complete opposite of that. I do a lot of world building for writing and drawing, half of which I forget to write down, but that's part of the fun, so... Yeah, making it up as you go along. That's, yep. that's part that's of the world building. You get to make your own rules. You get to decide what everything is. Which can, sometimes can be a lot, but it really depends on what you want to do with it. It's really about perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Say, say you're in a stereotypical fantasy game. You can write up a whole island nation of like all of these different things, but if your players don't leave the city, then it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Nothing else matters unless it directly affects the, uh, the people in it. So, the perspective of your audience. That's really yeah. it. The best, the best way I've heard it put is, um, you know, uh, if a story is about seeing the most important parts of a character's life. So if you're not showing that, then what's the point? Yeah. It's like, I mean, with Star Wars, everyone got mad at the prequels where they had to show, like, trade legislation meetings in the Senate, which I can get why that would be annoying. But yeah, why does that it, go to the DMV? Well, it doesn't matter to the story that they're telling, right? No, it's just It, it matters that it is annoying and boring and awful, mm-hmm. but the details don't matter. Man, if only George Lucas could have seen a couple years in the future and seen what the news was going to be like after 9-11, that could have been an interesting inspiration for how he would have handled that. Because the idea of it just being a news broadcast for the galaxy talking about what's happening, that, I think that, that that's actually my favorite way of world building it. Um, yeah. When it's just a news broadcast talking about something vaguely related and yeah. not mattering yet. So you well, can, like, yeah. let, put the seeds down of, like, oh, there's going to be this war coming and this other thing coming. But it's not super relevant. It, it really depends on how you handle it, though. I mean, because um, sometimes it can just be just explaining shit. You know, it doesn't really help get people invested in the story. Like, I think one of the best examples of using, like, an opening news crawl was, um, uh, what was it, Dawn of the Dead? The 2000... Fuck, what year did that come out? The newer one. But the whole opening scene where they're just showing news coverage to Johnny Cash is when the man comes around. Like, that's a really good way of drawing in as to what's going on. Because before that, you just see, like, zombies and don't really know what's happening. Yeah. Now... It's interesting you mentioned using the uh, news broadcast to kind of give you, it's basically uh, the uh, exposition Mm -hmm. to try to tell you what's going on. Here's the things behind the scene. Here's moving things forward. See, when when you mentioned that, the first thing I went to was the original 80s RoboCop, where you would occasionally cut in these little news pits, you know, bits and snippets of a news broadcast where... They would kind of give you a little bit of a background of what was going on in the city, where the uh, where the what was going on in the setting to kind of understand what was going on behind the scenes versus just what you saw. You know, what what was actually the situation as far as the environment in Detroit at that time, which was leading up to why the Robocop was was a necessity. Yeah, and it's not even just the news broadcast and that. I mean, you see all those goofy commercials that they have that just, sh- it's like peak dystopia, like sh- cyberpunk dystopia with the kind yep. of commercials they're showing. Like there was the one that was about the nuclear board game called Nukem. I remember seeing that. Yes. Yes. From, from uh, Parker Brothers or something. Oh, that makes it even better. Parker Brothers, we were relevant ones. <laughs> remember us? They even still around. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the shelves are still full of oh, yeah. stuff. But you know how you know we have we have reached uh, peak nerddom is wow. that even Walmart now carries Cards Against Humanity. Oh my god! I don't know whether to be happy about that or concerned. Yes, there. I mean, it sells 
Um, you have to be careful who you show it to, but it works. Listen, uh, you have not lived until you have played Cards Against Humanity with your spouse, your 15 and 14-year-old stepchildren, and your 72-year-old mother-in-law. Mm. Well, that's something that we could get into in a whole other episode. Yeah, no, we're getting way cultural, off topic. Yeah, 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 cultural zeitgeist and things, but yeah. yeah. Let's, let's, we'll put that yeah. aside for another topic. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely another day thing. So, so we're all it, yeah, yeah, so we're all familiar with it. But I guess the real question is, you know, what sort of things do we like in world building and how do we go about doing it? Because everyone's got their own way of doing it if you do world building. Um, I can explain how I do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I think of it as three separate parties, basically at all times. I three-body problem the fuck out of it. So I can give a very real example that I did in uh, in a traveler game. Uh, like a year or two or so ago. Mm-hmm. Basically, there was a ship um, that the aliens were all hive-minded together. So, they were uh, all, they were all slimes, and they were all communicating to each other. Mm-hmm. But, pure hive-mind. They jump into space, and then something went wrong with their jump drive. They failed, something happened, and then the ship cracked in half. Mm-mm. Um, the AI on that ship was designed and built by the hive mind, so they didn't have it didn't have any sort of um, security limits because it's a hive mind. A hive yeah. mind doesn't think of security because if they're all a hive mind, there's no reason not to. So what no, happened is you trust had no one, not even yourself. <laughs> that that's the problem. Hive minds only trust themselves. Because that's the only way that they can function. Groupthink, man. That's yeah. how cults get started. Uh, yeah, no, that's... It's, it's a fun time. It's a fun avenue. So, what yeah. happened is, the ship cracked in half, and then the hive minds diverged evolutionarily. So you had two distinct hive minds, one on one end of the ship and one on the other. Hmm. So... Oh. Yeah, so the idea is you have these two, but the AI doesn't understand that it's diverging evolutionary paths. Instead, they just said, sorry, but I apologize for the cat. I was wondering uh, what that was. No apologies needed. It's just a screaming cat. She loves screaming. So, Like most cats. <laughs> so the AI believes that both parties are the same thing, even though they are not. They can't communicate with each other. So for the very first time, you have... So what happened is there was a war, where one side attacks the other, and then the other side... And then the AI hid the other side. So the red team attacked the blue team, and won. So the AI digitally altered all of their sensors, so that way the blue team was always hidden away. Man, you've been saying this, and for the last five minutes, all I can think of is this reminds me so much of System Shock 2. Well, that's the best way to... For me, that's how I world build. I create three different parties, and then Mm -hmm. they all interconnect, and they all fight, but they have to all exist. They... it um, How I made it happen is the red team... The red slimes were the dangerous... They were more aggressive. But the blue side had where the engine was. Mm-hmm. So you can't fuck with that, otherwise everyone dies. Yeah, Space Station 13 has taught me this. Yeah. No, you don't fuck with the engine. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's a how do how do things get handled? How does everything interact? And then I just say, alright, the players show up. Fix it. Sounds like a fun travel game. It it was a good one shot. Um, yeah, oh that that'd be a great yeah. one shot. Yeah, the players realize that in order for a the slime to diverge evolutionary, evolutionarily, they mm-hmm. enter warp space. They enter a jump. Yeah. So they took a slime on to like to take a analyze it. Be like, all right, what's going on this? And we're like, all right, we're gonna send it. We're gonna bring it over to like one of the science bases to to actually do more research on it. They jump. It freaks out and then turn green. <laughs> Oh, so now we've got a third faction. Yeah, 
And then it's like, then they got completely distracted by the whole new animal that they made. That'll happen. Yeah, but so my, my, in general, how I make worlds is just three parties, any more than three, and people get very confused very fast. Each group is unique. They are, they all have motivations. They've all got fears. And they all have good and bad things with other elements of the parties. That creates a dynamic enough world. Um, and then you're good. So like in a fantasy thing, a thieves guild, the guards, and some rich people. Bam, you have got a great time right there. Oh, the rich yeah. people and thieves are like, oh, I want you to go take these things. The guards can be bribed. They can be actively trying to get rid of the thieves. Bam, you have a good, and the, the rich people are doing whatever with the guards. You've got a good old time. Really easy to, to just slap these things in and then push. You've kind of got a, like a, a triple setup, as you will, where you've got two natural opposing forces, one that's kind of in between that could be against or for both or could align with one or the other. So you, yes. you've kind of got just it, and it's so it's basically you're giving the the for lack of a better word the players agency it, of trying to figure out which way it'll go, but you've given them multiple avenues. Yeah, I don't, I don't. When I make a scenario, I don't give a solution. I just give problems. What's going on? Well, I can figure that out pretty easily. Yeah. Uh, what do? You do? Ugh, I don't and know. The, the fun is for the players to figure it out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and in that case, you know, it's a lot of improv when it comes to games. Yes. Not to say it's not too different in a lot of respects when it comes to, you know, world building and for other reasons, like, you know, um, what I'm currently working on, the comic project that I'm working on, I've been doing world building for that for oh, a good long while now. Um, only recently I've really started, you know, writing things down and sort of, codifying everything but there's a lot of thought that goes into that outside of you know game mechanics because it's, it's a story i mean there's so much involved yeah in that sort of thing i guess i'll talk about how i do world building which i mean the short answer is it's me juggling plates um i don't really have any concrete plans that i follow up with it's just certain things that i gravitate towards that i think are interesting um <laughs> i um well for example um I mentioned this a bit on the last podcast, but I had talked about, I had made a comment in the Aux Discord about, um, we were talking about the kinetic rods from God, which is a type of um, fictional-ish super weapon where it's basically a satellite in orbit that just drops giant rods of tungsten on things and just uses the kinetic energy to destroy it. If you've ever seen the one G.I. Joe movie, and God help you if you have, it's in that. But, um, allegedly fictional. Uh, allegedly. Uh, it does have the energy of an atomic bomb. Mm-hmm. And you just... But it's not bad. There's no radiation, at least. Yeah. So that's something. But we were talking about that, and I used the word smite in the setting, and uh, or when talking about that, and that got me thinking, which... Side side conversation, I actually have autism and Asperger's, which I'm not going to say helps necessarily, but it certain colors my attention to things in a lot of ways. Because I'll remember things that are just completely random, that people are just like, how the fuck do you know that? And, you know, I'll, I'll pull stuff from all over. Like, But anyway, back to the topic. I, you know, I had this idea of that would be an interesting D&D game if you can set it up as... You know, a paladin whose god is actually an AI in an orbital weapons platform that's from a uh, post-apocalyptic age. That, you know, he doesn't realize that it's god up there, but or that it's an AI up there, but he believes it's his god. And, you know, if he calls down Smite, it'll just blow things up from on high. And that just kind of got me thinking for an entire post-apocalyptic fantasy setting, which is now something that I'm getting into. You know, just thinking about... So there is a good uh, reference point that you can make, which mm -hmm. is there's a set of sci-fi, which is crazy, stupid, far future, mm -hmm. that then they all of the sci-fi, um, sorry, all of the fantasy bullshit is made by sci-fi. 
Yeah, it's that uh, freeze. Area. Yeah, that freeze any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah, so you make a fireball from nanites. How? Mm. Uh, well, that's but, horrifying. Yeah. yeah, that's the idea. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's, in a sense, it's sort of me just asking an idea and just sort of building off of that, you know, like snowballing something so, that I come up with. Yeah, that's another good way of doing it, where you just go, you know what's really neat? This mm. thing. Well, how did this show up? Yeah. Hmm, okay. What about this part of it? Hmm, I don't know. I need yeah. to make sure that there's, um, for RPGs, a lot of it is scene-based. So I go, mm-hmm. oh, I want a train heist. Those are fun. Okay, how do we get a train heist going? Well, we probably need to get something. All right, where do we get, what? what's important? Why does anyone care? Because it's very easy mm-hmm. to world build on things that nobody cares about. Yeah. And I mean, I'm just define that. Yeah, I'm kind of running into that right now, just writing out this story for my webcomic that I'd like to, that I'm working on, you know, just trying to get everything to line up. You know, there's a lot of points that go into storytelling and it's, you know, it's like you said, it's a lot of, you know, I want to do this scene. How can I make this fit into the narrative? So there's a lot of crossover there between, you know, role playing and other kinds of storytelling because it is all stories at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, my version is less scripted because players, yeah. but generally yeah. I can, you can figure out what a player is going to do. They're not always as crazy as people like to make it out as. Yeah. But sometimes you do get that one guy. Yeah. No, not always, but sometimes. And it's always uh, that sometimes. Yeah. Text. Oh, I was going to say stagger. Oh well, yeah. That, that's a good example. Yeah. Which, oh my god, I would just love to be a fly on the wall just to see how he plays. Halion, do you world build at all? How do you go about it? Well, just to using the two examples that you two used, um, I haven't actually done any tabletop or roleplay, like DMing, where I had to build a setting in 30 years. Uh, and the one, the last time I did, it was very much Skeleton King uh, on rails, you know, Mr. Toad's ride. It, it's yeah. I, it was a terrible DM. Like I just herded my players through, you know, what they were doing to the end where I wanted them to be. Um, but I have done writing, uh, particularly uh, when I was younger. I had I did have a uh, a comic book that um, myself and an artist co-created and got two two issues scripted. One partially drawn uh, before uh, some very, very similar things, uh, namely a, a little known indie comic called Spawn uh, came okay. out that was unfortunately so similar that the uh, the guy that was going to publish it for us, who had his own independent printing company, started to get cold feet and then uh, about a week later had someone walk in and just offer him a ridiculous amount of money for his printing company and the building it was it was situated in so he sold it and that was the end of that but i've also had a lot of stories and things and scenarios and things that i've written down over the years that i always wanted to do i just never finished but for me the way i always started was i would have i call it the stephen king uh writing method I would just get a cool idea. It's just like this interesting little little ember of an idea. Like, you know, what if, what if there was this thing? You know, or what if there was this guy who was like this? Or what if there was this really cool ship that could do this? And then mm-hmm. I just kind of start rolling that in my head and rolling it around. And then I just start, I build the entire world and the universe out of that. And I go from there. Um, because, all right, well, if I've got this guy that does this, well, what is his, you know, what is his life? Where does his background? What are the people that he interacts with? And then I'll, I kind of build that. And I was like, all right, well, what is the antagonist? What is he against? Because you always have to have an antagonist. Yeah. You know, so then I'll, I'll kind of, well, based on what this guy is and what he's about, this is what his antag would be. And I kind of build out from the, I build out from the center. From one small little kernel of an idea, I build everything out from that. Um, but that's, but for me personally, that's more rare when I'm creating an idea, typically 
I crib something from an existing universe. Yes, it's usually Star Wars. But, and then I'll say, oh, that's cool. What if I created this little pocket thing way over here that has nothing to do with any of the other things that everybody recognizes? And I'll create it and I'll build it out and I'll have the, you know, the things and the people and the, for, you know, the MacGuffin that drives it all. And then the more I think about it, I start shaving things off and changing things and coloring things until it's my own thing. It's not really set in that setting. It's my own thing, but I mm -hmm. used it inspired by that. Yeah, there's that's, that's kind of how my creative method goes with that. Sounds honestly a bit similar to what I do. And, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, starting with something that you enjoy and putting your own spin on it is a great way to start when it comes to storytelling and world building in general. I mean, look at how many things Star Wars inspired, some more directly than others. But, you know, it's one of those things that's been a big focus on science fiction as a genre, you know, so it's obviously inspired a lot of people and taking different elements. I mean, Star Wars took elements from other stuff like Dune. So it's, you know, one thing building off another, off another. It's just, you know. Unless your game's workshop, then it's just like, no, this is mine. I came up with it. I changed the name and everything. Yeah, this is totally original. Copyright, copyright, copyright. We will sue you if you try to do anything like it. What if I send you a box full of spiders? So there is something to, to continue growing. Because uh, when I world build, I take a nugget from real life. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I just go... Well, that's neat and interesting. Let me let me dig into that a bit more, and then I can put it into other stuff. Um, right now, I am reading about the late Bronze Age collapse. I it, I think it's neat. Um, and one of the things that is particularly interesting is there was a group that historians have later uh, called the Sea Peoples, and oh. it is a collection of like six different tribes from. Modern day, like Sicily, Greece. Um, I, th I don't think it's Assyrian, but like it's a bunch of different people. Anatopia, Anatopia, um, mm -hmm. and it's just a bunch of people going around and destroying cities and countries. And we, I genuinely have not learned any sort of their motivations, but I it's just. Yeah, they're all wow. extremely distinct peoples that were just going around the Mediterranean destroying the ancient world. Oh my god, it's Tumblr. <laughs> the tribe yeah. of Atlantis confirmed. So the Sounds idea like a, is, yeah. but it's just a raiding group of distinct individuals who all have unique motivations, but they're all bad to you. I, I really find that interesting, and I don't know where to put that in a setting. But if I put that in, like, Star Wars, or Star Trek, or any of the, like, in any sort of game, that'll snap in perfectly, and I can just go, Oh, okay, yeah. So, so, there was a bad thing that happened here, people are starving, so they decided to leave, but the place that they went to didn't accept them, so they had to go somewhere else, and then they started getting violent, and then you can just start really playing with how different things act. Yeah. I yeah, mean, typically it's finding an interesting thing in just from real life. Oh, yeah. That's why I read um, so much about history. Yeah, I've been looking at things like, you know, the the era of the Merchant Kings, you know, the the colonial era of, you know, the East India Company, and, um, you know, big corporations actually having a huge hand in the development of society in terms of the setting oh, yeah. that I'm doing. Yeah, and it's unbelievable sometimes. Because it's yeah. generally not the corporation that does the evil thing. Instead, they're just paying other people, civilians, to do it. Oh, they just outsource it, yeah. Yeah, they just turn a blind eye and no one cares. Yeah. It's a uh, United Fruit crown, Company. And the crown doesn't care as long as they're the getting paid. Yeah. And I think that's something that's really interesting to put in the sci-fi setting in terms of, like, space colonization. Yeah, and you can start tapping into um, Blade Runner or... Uh, uh, or even the book, uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Because mm -hmm. that has oh, yeah. very intense um, uh, thoughts on that. Oh, yeah. that Cyberpunk uh, as well. Which, yeah. That's something that they don't really talk about in Cyberpunk. You know, they always want to talk about it. It's like, oh, too many augments are bad. But the idea of, you know, 
your prosthetics being a corporation-owned thing. I mean, think about how many problems people would have with their iPhones. Imagine if that was your arm. Yeah, so to me, cyberpunk is not sci-fi. It is a different branch entirely. It's off of the Jules Verne uh, history of uh, scientific fantasy. But Oh, it's very much the states of sci-fantasy. Yeah. Uh, it's influ- they're influencing each other, but to me they're distinct threads. Mm-hmm. So sci-fi... Um, well, I guess the important thing with cyberpunk is it is the same world that we live in now, but more extreme in every direction. Yeah. The richer, richer, the poorer, poorer, and the technology is more. Yep. And that's the idea behind it. Um, and it depends on the, your, whatever your perspective is, but that's the idea, is it's more extreme in every direction. And, Absolutely. yeah, no, I, I can just talk about sci-fi forever. Um, oh, yeah, same. Yeah. Because well, corporations are evil, but they're not doing it. They're just trying to uh, push product. The interesting thing that I've found, in, especially in Blade Runner, is the idea that when there, are, there is nothing left to explore in, huma- in the Earth, in yeah. humanity, we've discovered it all, but we still have, but we still need to create unequal power structures, so we still have to have someone on the bottom. So what do we do? We create androids. What do they do? They do all of the manual labor stuff. Yeah. So cyberpunk has that as a fundamental nugget inside of itself where it's everything has to be a power dynamic in the system. Yeah. Since power comes from everywhere, a lot of cyberpunk, you have to feed into it. You have to show that the poor people are especially poor and the rich people are especially rich. Yeah. So it feeds all back into itself and cyberpunk is a, also it is punk. You are fighting the corporations. It is evil to be rich. That yeah. is the idea. And oh, uh, yeah. I love cyberpunk, and it's really fun. To yeah. me, cyberpunk is... Uh, and I'm, I'm about to go really deep here, so please hang with me. <laughs> oh, boy. But to me... Okay. I was raised very religious. I got into my 20s, started to learn, get out, get worldly, rejected a lot of that, started getting ideas of my own. In my 30s... I became a hardcore atheist. I was like, nope, I reject all that. It doesn't believe. And then I learned of the singularity. Are you gentlemen familiar with what the singularity is? The technological singularity a bit. AI? Correct. Right. The point where the combined artificial intelligence of computing power on the earth exceeds that of the combined intelligence of humanity. At that point, when we reach that singularity, there's going to only be two divergent paths that can happen. Either A, technology will rise up, Skynet, Judgment Day, and will exterminate us, or B, we will merge with our technology, and we will become something transcending what we know as human beings now. My understanding of that was like, well, geez, if that happens, then in a very short order we will emerge as something that we would not recognize as human anymore. We would be transhuman. Right. And at that point, is it not possible to think back and look into the past that there is something, the, the, um, to borrow the phrase from V'ger, the creator, that is so foreign because it's so primitive, we, don't, we can't conceive of it, but we know it created it. It led to us. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, my, under, my, belief, my mind has said, well, well, I can't be an atheist because I have to believe that if that's possible, then something is possible. I have no yeah. idea what that is. I'm not going to get into theological or religious ideas, but I just have to believe, well, there's got to be the possibility out there of there being something else beyond what oh, we yeah. recognize. So to me, cyberpunk is what happens if when humanity reaches the singularity and then gets stuck. It, 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 ah. can't, it can't move beyond, and it can't, it, it can't let the tech advance to what we would think would be the logical direction it would go, which is Skynet, 
but we also socially and uh, philosophically can't be moved past where we are now. We're just stuck. It's so almost. We, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm just saying. We're, so we're we're merging with our tech, but we're still allowing the humanity for it's the flaws of humanity to hold us back, to drag us down. So we're not really getting any better. We're just mixing it all up. That's, yeah, that's that, a, to me, that's how I see cyberpunk. Yeah, that's actually what I was going to say. You know, it's, it sounds almost like, you know, our human aspect is preventing us from achieving transhumanism in that regard. So I disagree. Um, so to me, cyberpunk is, we just aren't there yet. We're getting closer to the singularity, but we don't have seed AI. We don't have a self-improving AI. And so there are AIs in the setting, and that's all great, but they aren't omnipresent yet, where we mm. have to make that decision if we go in or go out. So mm. I don't think that it's, to me, transhumanism is past the cyberpunk view of the future okay that's fair yeah all i want to know is the la the only thing i really remember hardcore about cyberpunk anymore and i know we're getting tangenty but you know oh no it's tangents and tangents and yes that's what we do the only thing i remember hardcore like it's just it sparked my fancy big time when um when i would play it is in one of the source books there's a street gang called the kennedys where all the members have been surgically altered to look like one of the members of the Kennedy family from the 60s, and they all dress in the 60s fashion. So you'd have, like, the street gang hanging out. You got a Jack over here. You got a, a, a Jackie over here. You got a RFK over here. I don't know why. That just fascinated me. Like something that would be in Fallout, almost, like the, with the Wild Wasteland perk. It's a parody, right? Yeah. It's a parody of, of history. Of Yeah. It's a character. It's taking what we know, and altering it, making it more extreme. And, and ridiculous at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. It's silly. And that's part of the interesting part. Oh, yeah. Cyberpunk is everything, just more. So, yeah. we have a gang. We're just going to make it a silly gang, a more extreme gang, a more violent gang. We'll just keep going. You're going to have fun with it, right? Yeah. It's a good time. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of role-playing games. I mean, Shadowrun 2, that's another example of games that go to the complete extreme of things. See, to me, Shadowrun always seemed like it would kind of went hand-in-hand hand with Cyberpunk. Yeah. But they said, well, but we don't, but for the people that aren't totally techno-based, we're going to throw in a little D&D. Mm -hmm. I never liked Shadowrun. It's not my thing. I apologize. I've never played out. Cyberpunk or Shadowrun, if I'm being honest. So, I played a little bit of. I played some Cyberpunk. I played like maybe one or two Shadowrun. Mm. Um, I enjoyed them both. So, you know, I think it's for people that don't want to get completely. You know, if you're kind of in between, the one game that I really always wanted to play but never got to because I had a very small circle of friends was Rifts. See, I've played Rifts, and, you know, you say all that, and it really reminded me of Rifts, because Rifts can get real crazy. The problem is keeping the gameplay coherent, because it can get off the rails real it's quick. It's also gonzo. Right. No, it's very much bad shit. Like, to me, Rifts is the movie Everything, Everywhere, All at Once in tabletop. Oh, yeah. Based on my understanding. It's, it's a lot. I mean, if honestly, like, if you can think of it, you can make it in Rifts. That's, just to be, just so we're clear, Rifts is not cyberpunk. No, Rifts, okay. Rifts is like Rifts is everything. It's like a kitchen sink um, RPG. You can really do whatever you want in it. There's so much in Rifts for both good and bad. It can get real complicated. All right. Well, since we we've we've done our tangenting for the moment, <laughs> um, no more tangents. What is how do you feel about real-life fantasy stuff? How do you feel about Dresden Files and World of Darkness? <laughs> but, but since we're supposed to be talking about world-building, what is your personal favorite setting that you created? What is your personal world-build that is like the one that you're most proud of, the one that you enjoyed the most? Um, I tend to make my worlds kind of 
surface level because it, it doesn't matter that much. But there was a superhero setting. I don't t typically like superheroes, but it was a mixture of superheroes and WWE, where huh. it's a but I didn't the game didn't turn out entirely that way, and that's my fault. But the idea is you have hilariously superpowered people fighting it out in an arena, and it's what's going on backstage and what's going on on the stage. Mm. I really like that idea, and I don't think I implemented it well enough. Well, it can be hard, plus things can change. Yeah. It's also two things I don't really know. I don't know WWE, and I don't know superhero stuff. Oh, absolutely. I'm right there with you. But also, that's really neat. It's really fun. Sounds like, like it'd be a lot of fun. See, I am, yeah. I'm imagining a superhero battle royale in a wrestling ring, and I am down for that. Yeah, no, like, incredibly violent and incredibly fast. Sounds like it'd be great. Yeah. Sounds like something I, from the boys' universe. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, unfortunately, game didn't turn out how I, how I initially pitched it, but that's still neat, and I like it. Yeah, it's something to be do sometime. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I could see that. Um, as for me, uh, I mean, my webcomic that I'm working on, I really like that setting. Granted, it's not nearly as polished as, you know, other things. I'm still writing a lot of it. I just, most of it's scribbled on, it, on ideas, but. I think it's fair to make a distinction between home settings and published settings. Ah. Because, yeah, anything I make will be half as good as someone yeah. who's paid to do it and has been thinking about it for two years straight. Yeah, currently it's more of a home setting than a published setting. We'll see how that goes, but, um, you know, just taking little bits of everywhere, just trying out different things for it. You know, I'm going more of like a sci-fi, retro-future, western kind of deal with it in a lot of ways, but I also want to have some fun with it. Like Steampunk? Oh, fuck no. <laughs> I, I shouldn't hate on steampunk, because if you do it right, it can be fun, but most of the time it's just real dumb. I've never seen good steampunk. Uh, I guess it really depends on what you classify as steampunk. Do you have any good recommendations? I mean, I really like the Iron Kingdom setting, but that was, you know, it's been years since I've looked at it, but I really like that as a setting in terms of, which, I don't know if it's necessarily steampunk, it's more of like fantasy with, with yeah, industrial no, I, elements. I see it. No, that's fair. The problem with yeah. steampunk is it's so easy to go just over the edge. Yeah. Where it, where it becomes silly versus cool. It's it's real easy to do just a bit too much. Oh, yeah. It, it's not punk. No. So, yeah, so punk is inherently against the system, right? Like, yeah. cyberpunk, you're fighting against corporations, against big government. You're fighting against everything you can. Mm -hmm. In steampunk, what are you fighting against? You are the rich people. You have yeah, mechs and, like, wild, weird gun things. It, I think, I'm not sure, but I feel like cyberpunk came first, and then other settings were like, oh, if we slap punk on the end of it, we can make it a setting. Because yes. I don't think they understand the punk aspect of it. But yeah, that's punk. punk. Punk is fighting the system. Diesel punk is fighting against the system. Yeah. That one I, I, I buy. But, like, anything else? Not really? It's not cyberpunk, unless you're doing something along the lines of, like, fighting corporations or something, like the which East India is, Company. Yeah, which is good enough. Yeah. Like, if but, you're fighting the man, it's punk. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, because steampunk, just the nature of the setting, it's... You have to be rich. Yeah, it's, it's Elizabethan yeah. times. If you're going to be doing anything with any kind of machination, you got money. Oh, yeah. Unless you're playing Dishonored, which kind of is steampunkish. I don't know. I've never it, played it. It okay. looked a little bit steampunky, but it's got God, that's that, such a trope. Uh, yeah, the fallen London sort of mm -hmm. subgenre that's growing. That actually has a lot of basis in steampunk. It's also the poor people, which is good and punk. Mm -hmm. Now, I have no idea what this is. I only know based on some small trailers, but is like. Uh, the Mortal Engines, is that kind of a steampunky type thing, too? Um, I'm not terribly familiar with it, but from what I understand, it's a post-apocalyptic setting. But you, you've got, like, entire cities that are, like, mobile? That chase around Listen, and, like, will eat each other? 
doesn't really scream steampunk to me. It's, I don't know. It's almost like a science fantasy setting in a lot of ways. All right. Of course, at this point, I feel like we're just sort of like picking semantics because I mean, yeah. genres I mean, and tropes are a whole thing. Yeah, there's a lot of steampunk-ish stuff, yeah. but it's hard to define what the basis of it is, right? Yeah. Cyberpunk, you can reference Blade Runner. Dieselpunk, you don't yeah. really have a lot of media. You don't have the quality of it. I mean, there's things like Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. Oh, um, that's fair. Yeah. Or, um, like, World War weird stuff. Like, yes. Wolfenstein, I would definitely say, is, like, diesel punk. Okay, no. Mm-hmm. Yep, all right, no. Uh, you're, you, you've convinced me. Yeah. I, I would think uh, Captain America, the first Avenger, that's... I would yeah, think that, that falls punk. into the world, sort of. Yeah, that, I could see that as, like, okay. a diesel punk sort of thing. Nope, all right. No, that's totally fair. Yeah. Uh... It's not as popular, though, you're right. It's not something that people necessarily gravitate towards. Steampunk is just more of an art style. Just put some gears on it and call it steampunk. (laughs) Gears gears and multiple, like, little eyepieces. Yeah. I actually have used... I use those multiple eyepieces things. They're great. I fucking love using them at work. I just... I remember... Loops? Um, I have... Uh, glasses with magnifying lenses on them that you click mm-hmm. down in front of your eye and then you get yeah. to get like 25x or like 20x all oh, yeah. so useful yeah oh I've, I've worked on those i'm i mean just okay real world i am a licensed optician that's what i do i oh okay i make i make eyeglasses i sell them oh, nice. blah, blah, blah. so yeah i've worked on like jewelers loops and stuff that is so convenient when you're do, working on something on the on the micro level mm. So helpful. Yeah. Honestly, I could use something like that for painting minis. That sounds like it'd be really useful for that. I actually um, saw they had like a pair of glasses at work like that. This sort of, it's almost I like can, a pair of binoculars. Yeah, I can show you what I use. Um, I work in circuitry. So if I'm putting a tiny microchip inside of a thing, I need a high magnification. Because as you get an increased magnification... You're shake, you shake less. I don't know how or why, hmm. but my hand shakes less when I'm under higher magnification. So you I become can see aware that. of how much high and it gets broken, but a little yeah. bit is really yeah. good. Well, yeah, because when you get that magnification, you're aware of how much just one tiny movement, how far that actually moving, yeah, compared to where where you're trying to be. Sorry, I I decided to Google steampunk pistol because I remembered something, and I've gotten to a hole of just awful shit. There's so <laughs> many. There's literally somebody glued gears to a Glock and was like, steampunk <laughs> pistol. Oh, oh no. Like, oh, hold on. I got to show you guys this one just because it's just like, what the fuck? It's, oh. it, it looks like a USP that they just like bastardized. Oh, no. oh. Yeah. Oh. Oh, I'm. There's a oh. few. No, that's not a. There's a glow plug. <laughs> Why do they have a glow oh. plug? My hand is like I have. I can't even touch this. This is a two D image, but my hand has started bleeding just by looking at this. I, I love that they decided to put gears on the grip. Like that's going to make it more comfortable to use. Uh huh. And is that like is that like a like a proto laser? I have no uh, idea. on the bottom, like what? I think uh... that, that looks like something that would like pieces would fall would shoot off of it every time you pulled yeah. the trigger. Yeah, there's some real awful cringe. Most of them are like Nerf guns they glued gears to. I can get that. Fine, whatever. You want to do your, your cosplay, but why do that to an actual firearm? Yeah, I don't understand it. Uh, I hope it's not uh, an actual well, firearm. If anyone was curious, the, it is a gun. I don't know guns. Um, kind of looks like a forty-five. Yeah, it has a... Uh, I, don't, I, I don't even want to describe it. It's just sad. I don't uh, you know the spare parts drawer you have in your house? There's just like, yeah, we got some pipe, we got some wires and things in here. If you dropped a gun in there covered in glue. If it had wires, I would be more okay with that. But instead, it's just like, it's got some some lights in there that aren't attached to anything. Gear's <laughs> not doing anything. Yeah. It looks Very like much somebody, a roll of cool. It looks like somebody took a gun, covered it in glue... Dipped it in a bucket of like clock parts, yeah, 
and then took a uh, a crock and wrapped it around the top. Looks so bad. All right, we're getting distracted. Yeah, yeah. sorry, I, I, I went that, down a hole. I just like, is, I had but, to see but that is truly cursed. Absolutely disgusting. Uh, um, so yeah, steampunk. Um, I th- I think one that. I really like it. I mean, and, you know, cyberpunk is sort of like it is the idea of cassette or retrofuturism. You know, that sort of 80s, 90s look to technology. That's coming mm-hmm. back. It is. Um, mostly probably because people are getting sick of all their iPads and stuff that are just fragile and break easy. I, I love cassette futurism. And to me, oh, yeah. for, for me personally, and this is a movie that is near and dear to my heart, to me, Robocop is the epitome of cassette futurism. I can see that. I think Alien too. Alien and Aliens do yeah, a really yeah. good job with it. Okay, that's, uh, that's fair. Yeah, it's really interesting how the technology could say a lot about a setting. Like, um, um, good example is shit. I just had it. Um, oh, the new Dune movie with the Delhi Venu, however you say his name, In the movie, I mean, if you're familiar with Dune, you. You know that they don't really use computers. Everything for some reason. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, which I mean, a little jihad. I don't. I don't like how they've kind of changed things in that to be more of like, oh, robots are bad. But that's a whole other conversation. But anyway, I mean, they're pretty bad when you when after what they did. Yeah, I just kind of like the idea where it was like rich people controlling the technology, the idea of a technocracy. Mm, but yeah. I'm getting off topic. Um, fucking with shit. Yeah, but you know, in Dune, everything's yeah. analog technology in this future setting because you don't have thinking machines or computers, and you see that in the movie portrayed really well. You see, like you know, in the aircraft, it's all analog switches and gear and dials, or you know, a lot of the technology you can really see. It's more of like uh, the thing that I don't like how they didn't show is they didn't show how mentats are effectively human computers no they did not do a good job of showing that yeah they, they did a better job of that in the uh fincher movie when especially when you had uh unther when he's about to give that after the uh the attack on paul uh, yeah by the, uh, uh hunter killer when you've got him sitting unther sitting there at the at the meeting and He's looking into this like teeny tiny little monitor using this like mouthpiece microphone, and it's just flashing these images in his face. Huh. And then he's repeating these like words, like this logic code, uh, chain code of of numbers. To me, that relayed way more than the new movie. The fact that you know yeah. this was a this is a human computer. This person operates. At a completely different level and ver- and way of thinking than than the rest of us. Yeah, I really wish they would have showed it a bit better. You know, it's it's more of just like he rolls his eye back and says some numbers, which you know, when I start doing math, that's what I get. But that's more of panic than anything. In the books, that he will step through exactly what the plot is going to be. Yeah, they're like, oh, there's going to be an attack, and then this thing's going to happen, and then this thing is going to happen, and like it's completely wild and they're like yeah 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 just let him do his thing he'll tell us what we want to know yeah yeah the idea of thinking human that's better than a computer i think is or does a human that's capable of thinking like a computer i think that that's an interesting concept because i mean that what gets into a lot of like put that in cyberpunk now is that not technically what a vulcan is technically you've got an organic being that is supposed to be devoid of influence of emotion, strictly logic. Mm-hmm. But they're not. They try to be, but they're not. No, they're not. But yeah, you know, right. They get angry. So yeah. they're not. And then every seven years, they have the ponfar, and they have got to fuck. It's like Rumspringer. Oh man, people probably don't know what that is. It's when the I know Amish... what that is. Okay, yeah, I don't. Yeah. Uh, Rumspringer is this thing in the Amish community because I live near Amish people where uh, kids or young adults basically go out and see the secular world and decide if they want to stay there or if they want to remain part of the community. But if you decide to leave, then you can't come back. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I am so glad you brought that up because yeah. that dovetails into my favorite world building setting that I ever created. Okay. So 
Oh, thank God. I thought you were going to say the village. I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that could have been a good movie. That movie was terrible. (laughs) It could have. The idea was great. It was a bad book, too. It's that Shama Ding Dong, though. He couldn't land. He couldn't nail the landing. So the idea was good, though. But anyway, um, so in my aforementioned comic, um, it all starts with a, a character named Noah Chandler, who is raised in an Amish mm-hmm. community in Pennsylvania, who witnesses a horrific uh, accident where his father gets killed out in the fields. And long story short, he wanders into town one day as a young man, finds a library, goes in, starts reading everything he can read. When it comes time to do his Rumspringer, he decides he wants to know more, and he goes out into the world. And he doesn't go back. And he ends up becoming a professor of literature and history at a small college. But he is always, in the back of his mind, he is eaten, eaten alive by his guilt from his Amish upbringing that he abandoned the ways of his forefathers, that he gave up his faith, his beliefs. And this ends up culminating in a disassociative I've had too many drinks. I don't know if I can say that word right. He has split personality disorder. And he ends up with this other personality. Well, he comes under the attention of a fallen angel named Laid. L-A-D-E, Laid. And the interesting thing about Laid is the whole reason he fell is because he felt like God must have never loved him because most angels have names like Gabriel, Azaraphil, but his name is Laid. So obviously God must not care about him, because mm-hmm. what an awful angel name. So he fell. Laid forms a partnership with Lucifer, the Lightbringer, who is trapped in the, underneath the Lake of Fire. The way I envisioned it in the setting, the Lake of Fire is like a barrier. It's what traps that all the other fallen demons, including Satan, in hell. They can't get out. They cannot reach the mortal realm because they're trapped by this barrier mm-hmm. of fire. So he reaches a deal. If he can somehow find a way to get to breach the barrier, Lucifer will reward him. Oh. So he takes a soul from another dying creature, does laid, and bonds it to the other personality within the soul of Noah Chandler, thus creating two different people within one body. Thus begins the Raven Nevermore, an avenging angel. And anyway, long story short, it's this supernatural thing that goes out there and is punishing quote-unquote evildoers while also killing lots and lots of people. And eventually it morphs into this grander thing that is a soul without a body, meaning it can't be killed. And I believe the way I wrote it was, and the, and the souls of the damned fell like rain upon the lake of fire. Thereby, That's pretty cool. Thereby releasing Satan. And the, my, but my favorite part about that setting that I, uh, that I had was that God was gone. God got, God got, God created earth and after the seventh day got bored and just left. So what you've got is Satan and the demons trapped in quote unquote hell, the angels in heaven closing the gates and saying, "Mm, nope, we're out of, you know, we're done. We're closed for business and humans just fending for themselves. Mm. Anywho, that was my setting. The story, it roundup different but uh most, most role planes usually do but like i said um it's an interesting idea though spawn came out and it had enough similarities that nobody really cared anymore and it felt oh. like it was just re-spinning the same tale so that was that mm. kind of makes me afraid to write and publish stories because you never know what people are going to compare it to you know it's well, unfortunate in a lot of ways the thing that i have you know, granted, this was like 30 years ago that we, that me and this yeah. artist friend of mine created, co-created this. The thing I've come to realize, or at least believe, is that 
you know what? It doesn't matter if something similar has been done before. You need to tell your tale and you need yeah. to make your world and get it out there. And it doesn't matter if there's something like that. There is nothing new under the sun. Yep. Every story has been told. Tell your tale and tell it as well as you can. And then let history decide. Yeah, that's the, the whole idea of the hero with a thousand faces. You know, we keep coming back to these different stories and archetypes because there's things that resonate with us as people, as human beings. You know, I, I firmly believe that storytelling is a huge part of human culture and society. You know, the idea to express stories in a meaningful way. That really yeah. is a huge stamp of who we are as people. And I think it's important that we keep doing that, whether it's fictional stories or what have you. And I think, you know, world building is a great way of doing that. I think that there's a YouTuber that I follow that doesn't post anymore, but he had a theory, which is that anything that has existed for a long time, for like thousands of years, is because it fulfills something for humans. Oh, absolutely. Why do, why do people talk about violence? When, because it's not inherently fun. Although violence can be fun. Why do people tell stories? Because the world is inherently boring. Mm -hmm. My job is very boring. But if I tell a story, I can create a world that is interesting. And I think that's the important thing. I don't even think it's just necessarily that. I think it's also just, you know, people told stories to try and figure out the way the world worked and the way things were, you know, to try and exp yeah. to explore that in their own way. I think that's, that's another the old, big part the of the myths and, and mm -hmm. the the oldest of oldest religion. I mean, the Greek myths, you know, the ones my grandfather introduced me to as a young child. It was just coming up with a way of telling a story to try to explain why things are. Yeah. And we didn't, you know, because hundreds of thousands of years ago, we didn't understand how anything worked. We didn't we didn't have science. Mm -hmm. So we came up with a myth. We came up with a story. And it was a way to try to understand how the world around us worked. Yeah. And yeah, because the world is inherently chaotic. And mm -hmm. by telling a story with a beginning, middle, and end, it's suddenly less chaotic. It brings structure, yeah. Yeah. And the other purpose of storytelling is to tell a history. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the, the first storytellers were just passing along oral history, the oral tradition, before we created language, before we created the written word. Oral storytelling was how we knew where we came from and why we are who we are. Absolutely. I mean, think of all the traditions and things that have been passed down through word of mouth via storytelling. You know, all the stories where you learn lessons or fables. I mean, it's not too different from today. I mean, you talked about, you know, the epics of heroes of old. You compare that to superheroes, there's not much of a difference. No, it's all the same. Superman is Hercules. Absolutely. So I do have a question for you guys. Okay. Do you, th so world building, very important, very useful for humanity as a whole. Is it important for someone to actually do it? To sit down and write down, well, this thing happened and then this thing happened, and this is the history of the world, these are all the people in it. Is that important to do? Because I don't think it is. I can happily take another setting. And just do a little spin-off thing. I don't feel the need to build something from the ground up. If you're not inclined to do build something from the ground up, that's fine. I mean, it, it's doing fan projects, I mean, that's half what keeps communities alive. But I think the idea of telling your own story in general, whether that's through your own world building or through an established setting, I think that that's something that people should do. You know, the idea of just, you know... Uh, even just uh, basically as a thought exercise, you know, just to try and imagine things different. Because when you get outside your own head and think of different things like that, you'll come to solutions and answers you weren't even aware of. Yeah, exactly. It, just what Crispy just said. If you, if if you're going to be able to tell your story, your tale, if you have the idea that you want to articulate, you want someone to believe, I think it's important for you to be able to put it in your setting. To make it yours, to not just borrow from somebody else or to make it something generic or something just, you know, un unfinished. 
to be able to complete the ex the complete setting. Because if you take a story, but you change the setting, you've completely changed the meaning behind it, the nuance behind it. Um, it's it's about context. And if you, you can tell a story, but without the context of the universe, of the world that it happens in, you you miss all the nuance. I'm also perfectly okay with saying fuck that. And if I just want to play uh, a oh, different you... files game, I'm, I'm just going to do it. I don't need permission or anything. I can just no, go no, no, and no. fuck up the setting. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. My, my wife calls that beach reading TV. There are TV yeah. shows that are just vapid and not very deep, very shallow, but it's something you can watch when you're wanting to just go to sleep and you don't really care if you remember what happened or not. It's kind of the same thing. If you're just mm -hmm. wanting to kind of pass some time, that's fine. But for me, if you're wanting to do something that's meaningful, that's enjoyable, that's deep, where you're wanting to connect with either a reader or a player, that's when I think you need to get that complete world, that uniqueness, yeah. something that, that speaks to what you want it to be that comes from you. I don't know. I'm pretty okay being a whore. Especially <laughs> so, being like, no, just make something nice, easy, enjoyable. Make it have a good time. I, 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 speaking wrong with either or. You know, yeah, like, that's true. It's, it's not all one or the other. Yeah. You know, maybe one day you want to do a super complex story, and the next day you're just like, I want to write a story about a talking burger or something. Yeah, like if you're doing a role play in a tabletop game, and your players just want something generic, something simple, you know, they want a, 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 a make game, then that's what you give them. Yeah. Yeah, if, I, if I'm half drunk, I'm not going to be able to do coherent storytelling. Just give me a character I want to have fun with, you know? Oh, I'm I'm pretty much right there with you right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like the the one character I made that had a flaming harpoon gun. Hey, that sounds awesome. Oh, it was great. Yeah, I've got a uh, this fan fiction story that I've been writing for about twenty years in my head, in set in Star Wars about a ship that has what I call a variable uh, throttle hyperdrive where it's a hyperdrive but you can basically kind of push it just up to hyperspace so that essentially you're going crazy fast but you're not going to hyperspeed uh, huh. which is you know totally skeleton king but also, say, i feel like the ship would come apart at that point <laughs> but it, it, it the way i describe it is imagine like a millennium falcon but it's got a uh, a star drive with the same power of what you would use in a star destroyer. Oh God! Right. So you've got this incredibly overpowered drive, but in a tiny little ship. So it allows you to do lots of crazy stuff. It makes it go crazy, insane, fast. But the wake behind it leaves such a uh, over. Over basically, it, it over energizes its wake. Essentially, it's expelling so much uh -huh. exhaust in a, in an ion wake that if you're in in its wake, it cuts out all your electronics like an EMP. Oh, that's fun. It also has a uh, rotary turbo lasers. So imagine instead of like a regular like a little laser cannon, imagine like a little. Uh, it's like a Gatling laser. Yeah, imagine like a Gatling razor, but it's like two little spinning uh, discs that rotate. Oh. And so it's just spinning as fast as it can, and as fast as it goes, it's shooting out lasers all over the place. And it can oh, just disco spin. Death mode. Yeah, and it can spin and rotate, kind of like a, uh, you know, like the little uh, handheld, uh, the other mouse, like the trackball. So imagine it's a laser turret, but it's kind of like a trackball, so it can kind of turn in any direction it wants to go. So yeah. you're just pointing a laser at a disco ball and spinning it real fast. Kind of, yeah. Okay. Just it's hoping just, for the best. It's just lasers going out all over the place. Yeah, duck. Yeah. <sighs> My only thing I've ever wanted to do in Star Wars is play an old grumpy mechanic who oh. managed to steal a, a lightsaber. 
uh, because he was out metal detecting one day. And he found just found one. it in the sand. Yeah, he just yeah. found it. No one he picked found, it up. He <laughs> found the ones that 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 yeah. lay buried in the sand in the movies we don't talk about. Uh, no, I, I, I was thinking just like that during the prequels when they killed all the Jedi and they just sort of ignored the fact that they all had lightsabers. We killed all the Yinglings. Yeah. So he took one and he like made it really short and he's just using it to weld. Just to like cut stuff. Fair enough. I like that. Yeah. That's all he's doing. In the first novel of what would he consider the legends now, after the, after a new hope, they took a book that the publisher decided, this isn't a good enough story, we're not going to publish it. And then Star Wars hit, and it's like, oh shit, this is a phenomenon. Well, let's take this story, we'll slap Star Wars on it, and we'll change names in it, and then we'll just put it out. And so they put out this book called Splinter of a Mind's Eye, uh-huh. where Luke and Leia get crash land on some swamp planet, and Vader shows up. Well, at one point, they need to get into this building, so Luke takes out his lightsaber fiddles around with it and makes it into this tiny little like just thin, a dagger. just a needle shaped like oh, tiny funny. little blade and uses it to forjigger the lock to get into this building a lightsaber lock pick that's amazing that's but so that's uh, like the book is terrible but that's the one thing i remember from sound it. Good. <laughs> that sounds fun though just the idea of like a lightsaber screwdriver yeah, yeah, you're just you're just sitting out there, and you're like, oh, I gotta cut this thing. You know yeah. how hard it is to pull out my welding uh, mask and everything. I'll just close my eyes and just turn on my lightsaber a little bit. Yeah, it's what? illegal. Eh, no one's checking my toolbox. I've got a secret compartment at the bottom. I just like the what? idea that he's like put a handle on it. He's using it like a hammer. Yeah. <laughs> the lightsaber ice pick. <laughs> just fuck. We could give some lobotomies with this. Oh, now that's cursed. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. If we just start get, getting against, like, that shit, I'm going to start screaming. <laughs> All right. That has been the Auxiliary Unplugged. Thank you for listening.